When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. Her first students ever like back in March April 2022 she and I uh, did some exercises together so I knew that it was going to be lit and I could not wait for it to occur even though it uh, ended up being during a vacation that I had which is a strange synchronicity since it is you and I were within a certain proximity of each other thanks to that vacation yeah, you were probably between 30 and 45 minutes from me, and I didn't know it. I thought um, because of your accent, you were from farther down south, and like I thought you were from like the Texas area, and when I found out where you actually lived and then where you were at the time of that class, I was like, bullshit. <laughs> well, your initial uh, feel is certainly correct. I'm from Paris, Texas. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so it's kind of wh- where my uh, humble beginnings started. And uh, then I took the the story and I thought I created uh, my path forward. That, but as the older I get, I feel like I was just uh, a participant in a beautiful play. I like that point of view. Before we get into your story about... Um, your childhood in Texas and things like that. Can you please tell me two things you love about yourself? Yes. Uh, One thing that I really like about myself is when I have done wrong, given enough time for me to sit and reflect with it, I will apologize with the same amount of energy with which I um, maybe hurt someone's feelings or caused a ruckus It'll be on that same level and it will be genuine, but it takes me a lot of time sometimes to get to that point. And then the second thing I really like about myself is I absolutely love to cook meals for people in which they know without a doubt that I put love in every morsel. They always say, uh, you know, love is the secret ingredient. And in some people's foods, you can really, like, you can have two people follow the exact same recipe, do everything the exact same way. But one person just followed the steps, another person put love into it. And the person that puts love into it is going to taste 20 times better. Certainly. Intention is uh, very important here in the realm of this, I've noticed. Yeah. And in my opinion, it's not just with the intention with food either. It's intention with everything that you do. Definitely, definitely. And uh, so, uh, you know, I had uh, warm intentions all day about our conversation and I didn't know exactly how it was going to flow or whatever. And uh, I pulled some cards and it's, uh, yeah, I should have known. It's totally supposed to be part of the path and, uh, I'm interested in being a part of the great unfolding here in the generous present moment. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to me because everyone, almost everyone who comes on, they'll tell me beforehand that they were like nervous of some sort. And then by the end, everyone is like, yeah, this was great. This was really easy. And like I said what I need to say and the conversation flowed how it needed to. And it, it always does. Like I have no idea what me and the guests are going to talk about, but it always comes out exactly as it should. Exactly. 
So I know you told me a couple things you wanted to talk about before we hit record, but I'm going to let you start wherever you want to start. Okay. Um, well, I wanted to start with my childhood, actually, because your uh, show revolves around overcoming obstacles, which, by the way, the tarot deck that I made, one of my favorite cards, uh, states that the obstacles are the only guru that you need, right? I like and that. So, so your personal story was uh, phenomenal. Thank you. In regards to that. But I grew up in Northeast Texas and um, yeah, pretty, pretty impoverished situation. My parents were addicted to methamphetamines and we lived um, about 15 miles outside of town. And there were several miles between my house and the next neighbor. And frankly, because my parents were strung out on meth, we didn't get a lot of visitors because usually it was kind of chaotic when they were there, right? Yep. And so I just remember being very young and sitting in the woods thinking, how am I related to these people? (laughs) I have nothing in common with them. Even as a young child, I was obsessed with, you know, learning with the arts. Um, I wanted to be born into a family where I could uh, have some refinement, right? I love classical music. I love everything about Leonardo da Vinci. When I was in third grade, it was the first book report that I ever did was on him, you know, super nerdy right out the gate, you know? And, uh, So as I got into grade school, I realized just how uh, weird my situation was. You know, I saw kids' moms pick them up from school, and I saw the the love that they would uh, exchange, and that just was not present in uh, mine and my brother's lives. Matter of fact, uh, one Christmas on the... 23rd or 24th, my parents just disappeared, right? They didn't show back up for three, three and a half days during Christmas. Nobody called to check up on my brother and myself. uh, And, you know, I believe I was 10 at the time. My brother was eight. And so because of that, I have... Uh, abandonment issues, right? Understandably so. Yeah, yeah. And so going through high school, high school was very easy for me. And I knew that um, if I just applied myself, I could find my way out of this area that I grew up in because I wanted culture, like high culture, right? I did. At least that's what I thought I wanted at the time, right? And so, but I, I didn't have, um, I didn't have anybody really to guide me, uh, on how to get into college or anything. I was pretty much the person that everybody forgot about or wasn't interested in helping for whatever, whatever reason. So I moved to Austin, Texas and began to find myself, right? And, uh, You know, took a lot of LSD, a lot of magic mushrooms, and had uh, a a whole lot of fun. But I remember there being one day where I was like, I'm just spinning my wheels here, too. Nothing's getting any better. I'm not advancing in any sort of way, right? Or at least that's what I thought. What I was doing was I had expanded my mind to a point where, you know, Anything is possible at any given possible moment. And I still thought that I, you know, was choosing this path or whatever to a certain degree. Well, I had a very lucid dream where I was in watchmaking class and it was more real than real. 
you know what I'm saying? And, and so that led me, uh, the next day I called my dad because there happened to be a watchmaking school in my hometown. And I asked him if I, if I got a job the second I got back into town, could I live with him or put myself through watchmaking school? It's the first time that I really had a clear vision, right? Watchmaking school cost me like $3,000 to go through and ended up probably 100Xing that because afterward I parlayed my manual dexterity into a job working indirectly for the, the Department of Defense, right? I worked in a class 100 clean room, right? Full bunny suit. I believe uh, when you were describing uh, that types of clean rooms that uh, you worked in, uh, mine was just one below yours. We okay. had to we had to be concerned with uh, microns of an inch of particulate uh, within the uh, mechanical electrical mechanical things that I built. So that was a very interesting situation that I, again, I thought I chose, right? Well, maybe I did. So when I was uh, like 12 years old, I had come in the house from playing, and my brother was watching this show back in our house uh, in Northeast Texas. And he was watching this uh, program about this zoo, and it was absolutely beautiful. They had all these exotic animals and subtropical plants everywhere. And I told my brother emphatically, I don't know where that's at, but I'm going to live there someday. And then I went on bebopping along like I, I probably went and played basketball knowing me. Right. So when I cold called Honeywell Aerospace in Clearwater, Florida to get a job, Little did I know that that zoo that I was watching that day was within 30 minutes of where I would live and work for like 12 years. So the question comes up, did I set the intention when I was 12 years old and it just took a hot minute for me to bring that about? Nested within that uh, was the lucid dream which led me to be a watchmaker, which then gave me the uh, card I needed in order to get my foot in the door at uh, an aerospace company, right? So there's yeah. like levels to this game. What came first, right? Well, it's even stranger than that, right? While I was in Florida and I was young and strapping, I had a lot of fun. I dated a lot of women and, you know, eventually got married and had a family. But one of the women that I made an impression on, for whatever reason, she never forgotten, right? Fifteen years later, after I was divorced and moved back to Northeast Texas, she reached out to me and said, hey, come to Alexandria, Virginia and visit. I was like, sure. Jumped in the car, drove halfway across the country because that's <laughs> just who I am, right? And we, uh, you know, sparked up a romance once again. And before I know it, we're married and we're living on the Potomac River in Old Town, Alexandria. And uh, one day it comes up that one of her coworkers jumped into the river to save people when the airplane went down and January 13th 1982 I believe I'm not 100% sure on the year but I definitely know it's January 13th 74 people died that day that becomes important later so she mentions it to me and I am reminded that when I was 7 years old I remember seeing that uh, accident on the evening news and it was the first time that I realized that human beings could lose their life and die and it was very a very pivotal moment I remember crying about it and so it's almost like I put a stake 
in the realm at that moment as uh, you're going to you're going to live within a mile of that at some point. And so if you think about the Russian dolls that all had to play their part in order for me to get to that point that made an impact on me when I was seven years old. So as an aside, the number 4774 plagued me to a certain degree. Everywhere I look, they're, they're around like old friends. 74 people died on that airplane. Uh, I'm 47 years old this year. I can get on the Metro and it will be car 7447. I can get be in uh, traffic and there will be 47, 74s everywhere. Uh, every time I look at my phone, it's 45, seven, 47 minutes since somebody uh, responded to me or something like that. <laughs> so it leads me to believe that either I manifest rather easily, especially when I'm not purposely trying to do it, mm-hmm. or I'm remembering the future. Very much like Philip K. Dick, uh, where allegedly certain parts of his books, he ended up living out six to eight months later, almost verbatim, right? So um, my desire as a young child to lift myself up out of the poverty and the drug abuse, which I was surrounded by, and the alcoholism. Was that enough intention to cause the dominoes to fall in such a way, such a magical way, to bring me to this point where I'm watching the sunset over the Potomac as we speak? Maybe. So do you think it was your intention or do you think it was manifestation or do you think maybe it was a combination of or maybe like a type of a soul contract or something that you agreed to, you know, before you came here, all of it, none of it, some of it. All of it is on the table. There is not one hill that I want to die on. Because frankly, um, I I got this idea that if, if anybody tells you that they know exactly run from that person, because I mean, there's a lot of guesswork in this. Oh yeah. So I think that um, it's all the above to a certain degree, right? Mm -hmm. There's intention. And then through that, the manifestation powers kick in. And the reason why it happened in the way that it did is that there's quite possibly some sort of soul contract related that um, if I had been born into, you know, a more affluent uh, lifestyle, maybe I would not have been so determined to figure out what this realm is. I'd been asleep far longer. And uh, yeah, so I would say all of it has its part, right? Yeah, I agree with your statement where if someone tries to tell you that they know the whole truth on something, whatever that something is, I agree to run because no one person knows the absolute truth unless it has something to do with their feelings. Beyond that, they don't know anything. Subjective uh, knowledge about the realm and what's happened to you, yes. I'm all about that, right? Certainly. But what the objective realm is, is quite the mystery it is. And that's, for me, some of the most fun, funnest, not sure which is the correct uh, thing to theorize about and just wonder about and play that what if game because we don't know. Certainly. Um, and so I believe I've shared with you that uh, one of the projects that I'm working on now is a, a book to like a book of experiments where maybe you haven't had that many uh, um, experiences with the phenomenon 
which is what I generally call anything super na- uh, normal. Okay. Not supernatural, super normal. Right? I like that. All right. And um, I wish I had had this book. And some of the first things that I've written on it in it are experiments that I've done myself that gave me those, oh, man, moments. And, uh, yeah. Wasn't there one about a lady sitting on a bench and you're walking your dog? So definitely. So I mentioned the Philip K. Dick writing Mm -hmm. his reality about six months before it actually happened. Well, when I had heard that interview, and I believe that interview is on Aeon Radio with uh, Connor, uh, Miguel Connor. Okay. And he's interviewing Anthony Peake, right? And uh, so when I listened to that, I was, um, I was like, if Philip can do it, I can do that, you know? Yeah. And I've always, I've, I've always been like that since I was a little boy. So I just sat down and I said, okay, what's something that I do on a regular basis, but I want something super normal to happen. Mm-hmm. So I take my, uh, I have Australian cattle dogs and an Australian shepherd at my dad's house. And I'm fond of the Australian shepherd. And oddly enough, he happened to be with me through most of the strangeness. So he may be an interdimensional being pretending to be uh, a dog named Red in Paris, Texas. (laughs) Time will tell. (laughs) So I decided, okay, I take Red for a walk every morning. And we passed a certain bench, and I have never in the history of that bench seen anybody sitting at it, right? Ever. Day, night, it didn't matter. It's just in a bad location. Nobody wants to sit there. So I was like, perfect, okay. So I rode in there, and I was single at the time. Let me preface this. I rode in there that I, I, as Red and I are walking up the path, I see a brunette with giant tits sitting on that bench. Right. And uh, as I walk up to her, she will ask me a question that is uh, related to spirituality somehow. I don't know exactly how I worded it, but it was about spirituality. Okay. So I wrote that out uh, in cursive on a piece of paper, put it in my desk, forgot about it. I have to ask, wait, why in cursive? Well, I... For whatever reason, there's uh, they stop teaching people how to write in cursive. There's something yeah. magical. There's something magical about the English that we were given, and the ability to write in cursive, which is something you would do with spells, right? Okay. All right. So. <clears throat> so two weeks later. Two weeks later, we're walking up the path. It's. Uh, probably about five fifty-five, six o'clock, because I'm an early riser. And <clears throat> Red starts huffing and puffing. I look up and I was like, "Oh shit, there she is!" Right? I told myself, now, "I'm not going to feed her anything. I'm not going to say anything that leads her to ask me a question about spirituality." Yep. I wanted to keep the experiment as pure as I possibly could. As a scientist, I'm sure you can uh, appreciate that. Yep. So I uh, walk up and I notice immediately that she's holding a Bible in her hand. She's got it open and she's reading, right? And I'm internally, I'm like, no, don't say a word. Just let it happen. Yeah. I was like, hi, how's it going? She goes, hi, what do you know about the owls in the forest over there? And I was like, well, I know that there's a relationship between owls and aliens. And there's a there's an owl uh, that's mentioned in that uh, book that you have there that's related to Moloch. She goes, oh, very interesting. There's something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I just said, have, have a nice day or something, some yep. throwaway line. And I walked up and probably 50 feet, 50 yards not very far. Mm-hmm. I turn around and look back and she's gone. And there's like 
behind there's an open field. There's like no way she could have went that way. I don't see any place she could have went the other way. And I don't know if she was real or an alien uh, or an apparition or uh, insert your favorite like label thing here. The thing that could pretend to be a human, right? Yep. Or if she was actually a human that was being led by spirit to be at that particular place. And I never saw her again in, t- in the town and it, nothing like that. So when you have an experience like that, where you know that you wrote it out verbatim, it took two weeks for it to come to pass. And it passed perfectly as you wrote it. That opens your mind yeah. a little bit, makes you question a lot of what you're told. Yeah, I I can see that. I haven't <laughs> had an experience where I've done that, but I've heard of people besides you doing things like that and having those types of experiences. Right. Which comes to the second um, speed bump that I wanted to conquer, right? Fear. See, being a, a child and being left alone in the woods in a shack causes you to be very fearful. Looking back, I realized that um, some of the things that I was doing compulsively were um, fueled by fear. Like I would check the front door if it was locked, you know, 30, 50 times. And of course, of two hours trying to fall asleep uh, because, you know, there would be so many hours without anybody being around you know, it's just paranoid about somebody yeah. hurting us. Um, you know, things like that. I It was really hard for me to ride in vehicles with people because of the way that my parents drove while they were, uh, you know, high or drunk or whatever. So I had a lot of fear. And um, I always told myself when I was little, I was like, you know, I'm going to be a giant person. And when I get older, I am not going to be fearful of anything. Right. And that certainly has come to pass almost to my detriment. At- <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you really tall? Yeah, I'm like six, three. I'm about three and a half, four feet wide at the shoulders. Uh, yeah, I'm abnormal. <laughs> but it's okay. You're, you're, you sound like a big dude. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, but I, another thing that I was very fearful of was things that I didn't fully understand, right? And I would have, uh, you know, weird things happen uh, at my parents' house. Um, I would be in the woods and have spirits of some sort speak my name, which you know. Okay, if I had a name like uh, Joe or Bob, Sam or yeah, 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 that'd be yeah. I could I could probably write it off and say, okay, I just supersonic hearing somehow at that moment I heard somebody say that name, right? But Lehman, I guarantee you, I was the only Lehman in the state of Texas at that time, quite possibly the United States, you know. Yep. There's, not a lot of people walking around with the redneck version of Le Mans. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, that speed bump, uh, when I got to a point where I could sleep with the lights off at night, um, that I can honestly say that's when I started living, truly living. And... um and then things just got stranger. <laughs> I want to ask, and then part of me is, I don't know if I want to ask. Well, um, so I'll just give you a couple of the experiences, right? All right. Um, one night I was waiting for my dad to get home because I know that he had been working like almost 18 hours straight, and I wanted to. Uh, heat him up something to eat the second that he got home 
but I was pretty tired and it was already like 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. So I'm laying on the bed with the door open, my bedroom door open, waiting for him to come in the front door. All of a sudden I feel a hand touch my leg and I feel a weight on the bed beside me. And then it pushes off my leg. I hear it land its two feet on the floor beside the bed and run off into the rest of the house. And judging from the way that it felt as it pushed off my leg and how it landed, it was maybe three and a half, four feet tall, max, right? Uh, so naturally, I got up, turned on every light, che- went through the house, checked the dogs. They're catatonic. They're, you know, what was that? You know, what is that? I don't know. Uh, the, the the small ones are the ones that, like, imitate children. I feel it creep me out even more than adult or life-size or whatever ones. Because, yeah, the, the kid yeah. ones freak me out. Right. Uh, so that's one experience. And then um, uh, one afternoon, I'm reading a book, Neuromancer. By William Gibson. By the way, I, let me just go on wax as saying I think that book is spellcraft. Uh, I think all of his books are spellcraft in a certain manner, and I think he's probably former CIA, though he probably wouldn't be any way to figure that out. Yeah. Right. But um, so I'm reading that book, and uh, a force, a hand comes up through the couch that I'm lying on. And at the time I weighed 385 pounds, the largest that I've ever been in. Picked me up and threw me into the floor. Like I weighed nothing. And I popped up and uh, my brain was breaking. Right. I couldn't understand what happened. Right. I pulled the, uh, cushions off the couch. I pulled the couch up, put it on its side. I was checking the floor, but I could not understand how that could happen. Right. And, uh, like I've never met a human being that could do that to me, much less an invisible force. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, ne- I have never finished that book because of that. I know that's odd, but. I wouldn't finish Um, that book either. What (laughs) makes you say it's all of his books, though? And to what purpose would he do this in in these books? Okay, so Neuromancer is, if you look it up on Wikipedia, they probably say that he is the father of cyberpunk uh, genre, right? Okay. And if you think about what cyberpunk genre is, it's low life, high tech, right? People are doing nefarious things, but they all have this high technology that they're doing them with. Yep. Or they have uh, prosthetics that give them a a superhuman ability of some sort. They're they're cyborg transhumanism at its finest, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, when I look around and I see how things are going, how uh, it really feels like we're moving into a post-creative world where AI is going to do everything for you. Um, yeah, it seems like they spell cast that correctly. I saw recently there's like a, app or something out now and a lot of people are doing it supposed to make you look like a piece of artwork from like different time periods have you seen that yeah mm-hmm. i don't i don't know what it's called but and some of the images are really pretty but mm-hmm. why right like yeah. what what's the purpose and if this computer can create this image to your point then what about humans is so, it going to become that humans are not as good as AI? Okay, so 
last uh, August 2022, I really did a deep dive into uh, AI art. Mm-hmm. And there was about three days of darkness is what, what I've been calling it, where I came face to face with the future and realized how far it will be in a few years, right? It already, in August, it was better than I was as, as an artist. And it could do it in less than a minute. A finished, rendered image in less than a minute better than anything that I've ever done. So then I extrapolated that out, right? Where is it going to be in six months? Where is it going to be in five years? And in five years, you will not be able to tell reality from what AI does. Quite possibly, we have already seen uh, the best um, AI programs on television already, and we haven't known, uh, didn't know it because it was all black ops or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Hell, that might be where we're right at right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This reality is so sh- strange and so malleable in s- ways uh, that it wouldn't surprise me if they uh, somebody figured out how to do an organic simulation or the mind of God is absolutely just bonkers phenomenal. You know, could very well be. We could all be, uh, as Andy Rouse says, fractals of the creator. Yeah, I don't I don't really know where I stand on that. It's kind of really depends on the day because. I think I'd sent you and I think I'd sent you and Whitney uh, the message, and I was like, and it was about someone had said you have to consent if you're going to be abducted, and I was like, but if it's your future self or your higher self or a parallel version of you, how like do you need consent? Because isn't that you? And at what point do you stop? And I kind of played around with that even after I sent that voice message, just. And that plays exactly into what is God or source or this higher power. And I don't know. It really depends on the day. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I oscillate between all the possibilities. Like, okay, let's, let's kind of, I know that this isn't always the focus of your podcast, but let's, let's look at this, uh, choice of abduction right Mm -hmm. i had an experience where uh i believe i thwarted an abduction okay right Mm -hmm. so i'm at my dad's house and it's 11 30 at night and i'm reading a book by russell targ and he was making his case in this book for esp Mm -hmm. telepathy all of a sudden like a three and a half foot creature jumps on the end of my bed it's cloaked but i see a shimmer it runs up rather quickly and deftly to uh the side of the bed that i was leaning reading the book and almost immediately i wanted to go to sleep mm-hmm. right and all the all the lsd all the uh mushrooms that i've done I told myself right then and there, I am not passing out. He's going to have to bring the the good stuff if he's going to knock me out. This is not going to do it. Yeah. And I fought to stay conscious. And I was in like a mild sleep paralysis, but then I was able to get my arm free and I punched up and it wrapped its little hand around my fist and then ran off the bed. And I'm here to tell you, when that thing touched my fist, like something in my brain hasn't been the same since. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole lot of nope. <laughs> like, it, I, I don't know what I would have done. My dog, Red, was catatonic, worthless once again. Thank you, Red. <laughs> and <laughs> I get up. 
and I go through the house and I go to the other side of the house where my dad was uh, sleeping with two cattle dogs at the foot of his bed. And they're all like out like those those dogs any other day would be tearing through the door trying to get to me to help. But these suckers are passed out. Right. And uh, yeah, it's just the strangest situation. And that was one of those moments where. Uh, oh no, we're not consenting consenting today, Jack, and this ain't happening. Yeah, I know. There's been maybe twice my husband and I have been sitting on our couch, the dogs cuddled up with me, the cats laying on his lap, and we're watching a show. And it's like we're ten minutes into the show, and we pass out hardcore. We're dead to the world, and we wake up. Like six hours later on the couch going, what just happened? And we're yes. feeling like we're coming out of molasses and stuff. And it was both of us. It was really weird. Yeah. My wife and I have been experiencing that very same thing a lot recently. And I believe I told you in our uh, group chat with Whitney that I had uh, – awoken the other night because I felt like something was placing me back in bed and that they just dropped me a little bit. And, uh, yeah. So I don't know about that needing consent thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Cause some people say that consent is a universal law. And then, so if, if that is true, then, how is this happening? And so that's what leads me to the higher self, future self, parallel self. And if consent is not a universal law, well, then anything's open. And, okay, what does your, in sports, we had this thing called the eye test, right? Okay. People can say somebody's a terrific athlete, but what does your eye test tell you? Right? And what's an eye test? When you see a guy who can't make a jump shot when the gym is full of people, but his stats say that, oh, he's supposed to be this tremendous player because he's six foot nine, has a weak span four inches longer than it should be. He has all the uh, physical markers of a great athlete, but when the money's on the line, he can't make a shot. Your eye test tells you that he can't handle the pressure, right? Okay. My eye test in the realm sees terrible things happen to people on a regular basis that, frankly, a whole lot of it they would have never consented to in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Continue. Okay. So, for example, uh, somebody in my family uh, a couple generations back, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Her and her sister were systematically raped by their uncle and their grandfather from the ages of four to eight. I have a real hard time saying that they chose that either before they came here or I I have a hard time buying that. And and that's where because I've I've gone through some shit. Mm. And. I don't necessarily think we know the events. It's more we subscribe to a lesson. Okay. And so how that lesson plays out, we don't have a say in. But we asked for a certain experience or a certain lesson. And so whatever path they went down or whatever they eventually learned from that or took from that whether whatever that thing is that was what they were looking for it just in this realm that was the avenue it took to get there and so i don't think that anyone would consent to anything that horrible i think we consent to the lesson and because of free will we don't have a choice in how that lesson plays out Okay, I hear what you're saying. I'm probably going to have to sit with that one for a few days. And and that's fair. And that it's right. it's something that I've personally had to struggle with because 
Yeah. You, I've heard for the longest time, well, everything happens for a reason or everything happens with purpose. And it used to bug the shit out of me. I'm like, no, that's stupid. No, no, that's not true. But then I would look back and go, okay, so this really, really bad thing happened. Did I learn anything from it? Did I grow? Did it like, I was raped in my parents' basement. What mm. did I learn from that? Right. Could I do that? Could I have that um, retrospect right after? Absolutely not. It took me right. more than a decade. So, right. and I don't Certainly think, understandable. Right. And I don't think that my higher self or me before I came here consented to that event. But I think it allowed me to be more compassionate with people. And so maybe that was the vehicle. And that is a really tough pill to swallow. Personally, I'm not saying you have to agree with me. That's just where I've come to on my journey. Hey, uh, and that's beautiful because that's, uh, that's boots on the ground, you know, where the rubber meets the road. I know people very, the the same situation that you described. That they didn't come away with those nuggets of wisdom. It ruined them. And I understand how that would happen. You know. But I also think just because we sign up for a lesson and we hope to learn that lesson, maybe we don't this time. Right. Right. For sure. And, yeah. and it sucks and it's awful. And maybe that this theory is just my way of making myself feel better for all the shit that I've gone through. But I don't know. I'll take that little bit of hopium. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And whatever gets you through the night is sometimes just exactly what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And that thought process doesn't hurt anybody. Doesn't excuse anybody. Right. So exactly. That's where I stand on it. Yeah. Because that lesson could have come in a myriad different ways right yeah so yeah so the got the abject poverty that i somewhat overcame got the fear that i overcame and yeah so things just keep getting more and more weird like the other day i was I mentioned to you and Whitney that I was uh, staring into a mirror purposely to cause the portal to open. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of people have a lot of different feelings about that, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of fear porn. And maybe it's justified. I will say this, though. I had a purple smoke come through the mirror and... uh, I was more um, intrigued than fearful about anything, you know, like, how is this happening kind of deal? And like wanting to press against the reality of the mirror, like Neo did in the beginning of the matrix and see if I get taken through. So, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a, Beautiful experience that sometimes you have to fight through the mundane to uh, get to the experiences again, right? Yeah, and you almost have to sometimes make your own magic. Yes, yes, certainly. (laughs) To varying degrees, right? Yeah. Because... Um, I don't know if you've ever looked into narrative magic or anything of that nature. Okay, so there's a lot of people believe that the beginnings of comic books were actually narrative magic in the skies and that they were based loosely on um, the magical workings of Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons. Okay. And the idea goes that very much like me writing a scenario into reality, Mm -hmm. you could create a narrative, put it out in the realm, Mm -hmm. and cause the magic would cause those things to occur. 
So there's a famous comic book writer um, who's, oh, Grant Morrison is his name. Okay. He is an interesting dude. And he wrote some of the most important uh, comic books of the 90s and 2000s. Well, he has a thing about redheaded women. So he made sure that when the artists were drawing the um, characters, that the mm-hmm. lead character looked like himself and that the lead character was meeting all these beautiful, voluptuous, redheaded women, right? Mm-hmm. But then it started happening. Without him telling any, mentioning it to anybody, it just started coming in. So then he started refining the... Uh, what he was asking for and sure enough it came about and so he made that known to everybody at a um i, I think it was like comic con in la or something mm-hmm. right and so now unbeknownst to a lot of people there's a quite a few uh individuals in the podcasting world that are um, doing their own form of narrative magic. And so the more eyes that you have on a certain narrative, the where your attention goes, your energy, energy flows. flows. All right. And so they're using their podcasts to, um, you know, manifest bigger and better for themselves. Not sure how I feel about that, depending upon the person. <laughs> but if they have good intentions, I'm all for it. I can think of a couple podcasters that that does not thrill me, but they shall not be named. Exactly. So, yeah, there's a it's a it's the wild west right now mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Um, it seems like we're going uh, through the end of the fourth turning. I don't know if you're familiar with that phrase. But it sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you where I've heard it or in what context. So basically, we're coming to an end of an age. Yep. uh, And that either um, the 2020 situation was the quote unquote um, calamity that we were supposed to go through at the end of this age. And then very soon, the new age will begin. Or there's a calamity that comes, right? I'm okay. not exactly sure which one it is. I'm hoping that was it, right? And that we're starting to upswing back up. And that's actually when I sit down and choose the timelines that I want. When I actually go through the trouble of doing that, I choose a timeline where we're rebuilding Atlantis or, we're, you know, whatever your idea is, right? And what does that look like? And, you know, you spoke about a little bit of hoping earlier. Well, that's my form of, you know, mm-hmm. hopium, fentanyl. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing wrong. You know, call them thought experiments, call it the what if game, call, like, call yeah. it whatever you want. But thinking in the positive there's literally nothing wrong with it. And if manifestation is true, then why not? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I, I will uh, be com- completely transparent. It is very hard sometimes for me to see the positive mm-hmm. in things. I have a natural inclination to be negative, right? And I fight against it. It may not seem like it sometimes, but I fight against it on a basis. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's me trying to overcome that, um, I guess, that lower self that uh, maybe developed the whole pattern recognition to stay alive out in the Serengeti or something. Yeah, I... It can be... It can be hard to always be positive. And always being positive, though, is also fake. Because 
we're humans and sometimes we have bad days and sometimes we have things that piss us off or hurt us or whatever. And the people who completely deny any type of negativity, they end up some of the saddest people because they don't feel their feels as I like to say, or my husband likes to say, you have to feel your feels. Just don't sit in the negativity. Right. And I have this thing where I, I have to, have the emotion move through me, right? I'm a very physical person. And so I I either need to be thinking about this emotion and working it out, doing some sort of exercise, or I need to scream it out, or I need to cuss like a long monologue, but it needs to be in motion and out of my body, right? Yeah. And, you know, depending on, uh, where you're at when this happens, <laughs> you get different responses. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Whitney been... likes to say, you kind of need to read the room sometimes. Yeah, there's been a, instances where I want to, to your point, express emotions in that way, and I'm like, all right, just ten minutes to get to the car, and then you can do it. Like, don't <laughs> do it here. Just ten minutes to get to the car, and like, I'll count or I'll do something like nine minutes, eight minutes, like yeah. just hang on. You can do it. Just hang on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's a, it's all a learning process. Nobody has given us a, a, you know, a guidebook like, Hey, at age 33, you're going to awaken to this, uh, the nightmares around you, but then you have to transcend that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I certainly didn't get a guidebook. Right. <laughs> That's what I exactly. can say. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to say uh, when I listened to your personal story that I thought it was rather interesting that um, when you were uh, having all your work done in Baltimore, that mm-hmm. sometimes you guys would come over to the Smithsonian mm-hmm. and you would go through the museums and stuff. and. Uh, I bet if you were to come down and go through them with me, uh, it'd be a a different situation. I love to go into like the aerospace museum because they have one of the things that I used to build in there. Okay. Then also I like to go up to the uh, lunar lander and say it was a 240 degrees on the face of the earth, a moon when that landed, where is the air conditioning on that sucker? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh geez i'm sure uh some people love you when you point those things out because <laughs> yeah. you're like you, you have to make them think yeah and then yeah. they don't want to think yeah it's like do you think we have something here that could keep your condominium cool at 240 degrees right now <laughs> my husband uh coined the term uh that's called bursting their bubble of personal belief and pick a topic um but if they don't want to hear it you can't burst their bubble of personal belief they're just gonna be dead set and they'll argue against themselves to make themselves feel better oh yeah and uh your husband's 100 correct on that but that still doesn't stop me because i sometimes i just like to stir the the pot a little bit and see what happens i remember Um, we were in Michigan in August of 21. And that's when people were showing papers to get into venues. And we were walking into a restaurant and uh, everyone we were with was like-minded, but I tend not to have a filter and my give a fuck is literally broken. I don't have it anymore. And it's like a half a block line and the entire time I'm saying very loudly and like a really bad German accent. Oh, we must show these papers and shit like that. And my, and Mike's trying to be like, Elizabeth, will you stop? I'm like, no. And then I would just get louder. So then every time he tried to shush me and he's just like, and people are looking at me like all mad. And I'm like, tell me I'm wrong. Right. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm, I'm the same way. Like, my wife will tell me, okay, 
you know, stay in the car. <laughs> I don't want to see it in here right now. <laughs> there was uh, parent-teacher conferences. My husband was like, oh, do you want to come to the parent-teacher conference? Because I'm the step-parent. And yeah. I proceeded to tell him a few things. He's like, yeah, it's a probably better that you don't. I was like, yeah, probably better that I don't. Yeah. It's a good, good yeah. idea. Indeed. Indeed. But, see, you are a uh, giant of a man, and I'm a very petite woman. So you sp- saying things and me saying things gets a very different reaction. It it does, Ellie. Um, what I have found to be uh, universal is that you little people get <laughs> real nervous when I raise my voice, and you usually call the authorities, and then I have to be... 100% grounded in my heart when they show up yep. so that I can walk away from the situation in one piece because <laughs> inevitably uh, at least one of them is going to be a little person too and that's the one I have to watch to see if he's going to shoot me <laughs> listen it's it's just it's funny because you know my husband's not as tall as you but he's yeah. an Italian marine so he raises his voice and similar thing people get all oh goodness and then I yep. get mad, and then it's just kind of like that little pat on the head. Oh, you're so cute, which just infuriates me more. Right, right. <laughs> Understandable. Oh. Well, this was fun, and I appreciate you coming on and talking about your childhood and overcoming fear. I'm sure you've heard the uh, acronym "fear is false expectations appearing real." Certainly. certainly. There's another one too, but something along those lines. Yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself, Ellie, and I look forward to many more conversations, both on Zoom and in person at some point, hopefully. Yeah. Holly said that you guys might be coming up to this area in the new year and we will work something out. I can't wait to meet you guys in person. For sure. For sure. Well, I know you do art, and I know you have the tarot deck. Can people buy your tarot deck yet? They cannot at this particular moment. It, this The first 15 uh, decks are meant to be gifted to people that they resonate with. Okay. And the next deck that I uh, produce will be done in such a way that I can actually produce them at a price point where they make sense for people to buy. Okay. This particular one, I kind of uh, made it to where I would have to charge like $65 a deck. And I'm just, I don't feel comfortable with that. So I need okay. to tweak some things. But I thank you for asking me. And uh, I thank you for having me on. And it's- Ab- Absolutely. Can you share your Instagram where people can see your art? Yeah. My Instagram is uh, at Lehmond. Dolan's Art, L-E-E-M-O-N-D-D-O-L-L-I-N-S-A-R-T. And that will be in the show notes, guys. And thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful night. They cannot at this particular moment. It, this The first 15 uh, decks are meant to be gifted to people that they resonate with. Okay. And the next deck that I uh, produce will be done in such a way that I can actually produce them at a price point where they make sense for people to buy. Okay. This particular one, I kind of uh, made it to where I would have to charge like $65 a deck and I'm just, I don't feel comfortable with that. So I need to tweak some things, but I thank you for asking me and uh, I thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Can you share your Instagram where people can see your art? Yeah, my Instagram is uh, at Lehmond Dolan's Art, L-E-E-M-O-N-D-D-O-L-L-I-N-S-A-R-T. And that will be in the show notes, guys. And thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful night.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I wanted to thank you for listening to another episode of Speed Bumps. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If you're listening on Spotify, I would really appreciate if you clicked that five-star button. And if you're on Apple, you can click the five-star button and leave a written review if you're so inclined. If you're interested in coming on my show, you can reach out to me at speed.bumps.com podcast on Instagram.